a podcast to honor the gods. This better come with a sacrifice. Dave X Media. Contend Capable acknowledges the indigenous people on the land on which we record this podcast, the Tarongarong people. We offer our respect to their elders, past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Sovereignty was never ceded. Welcome to Content and Capable, where uh, I've been told that I know nothing about pop culture, uh, and so I have to bring in resident experts who are desperate to talk about uh, their special interests. Uh, that seems to be half the podcast at this point in time. The other half is just me going, what what weird rabbit hole am I down currently? Um, but this week, uh, we're back on the pop culture shenanigans, and I have Andrew all the way from the restricted section on here. Welcome, Andrew. Hey, Sam. How are you doing, buddy? I am doing well. I am wrapped up in Haduna because it is quite cold, uh, and I am from the equivalent of Florida. I've said, as I've said many, many times. So anytime it gets under, like um, even like under sixty-five degrees, oh man, it is like whoa. Yeah, <laughs> hold on, I'm not sweating. Um, this is very cold right now. <laughs> yes, um, and um, so yeah, I am rugged up as as far as I feel is reasonable with like. Um, with all the recording equipment around me and <laughs> um, the fact that half my clothes are still in the wash, uh, which is just a, a, a never-ending story. Adulting. Washing just made worse. Um, <laughs> but yes, uh, we're here to talk all about K-pop, Andrew. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Finally, <laughs> one of my friends has made the terrible mistake of saying, like, do you want to talk about this? Because Yes. I would love to talk about yes. this. I, the answer is yes. always yes. I would absolutely adore to. What was it? Um, the other day I realized uh, that one of Charlie from Of the Oldest Gods and the Bits, that one of their friends has started an Aragon podcast. Uh, and those, bo- those books absolutely slap. I fucking love them. And I, like hit up one of the hosts who uh, actually was a previous guest, uh, Darian, and I said, um, yo, if you need a guest, like, I'll be, I'll guest an info dump about this. Like, just don't even get me fucking started. Um, <laughs> I love it. Um, so, uh, look, I think my, my my podcast exists as an opportunity for people to info dump, which is what we're going to do today. Yes. Yes, we are. Absolutely. So, why K-pop? Andrew, like, why why is K-pop something that's like enamored you for so long? So I, and this is this is actually very fun. I have a story that I've been fairly certain might be unique in the entire world of K-pop fans. Um, I got into K-pop via my father, who was in his sixties at the time, and uh, it still is. <laughs> I don't know why I said it that way. That sounds weird. Um, but a few so. A lo- <laughs> basically um my dad when he was in the military was stationed in south korea okay and fast forward 30 years he goes into career in banking and towards the end of his career 
he's working nights and he has a bunch of time in the day. And as I am sure, you know, I'm sure it's the same in Australia. Daytime television is just, just the worst. It's terrible. Oh, it's gross. Um, yeah. And so he started really playing around with YouTube. And one of the things that he found was a lot of videos of people like that would go around the camps that he had been stationed at and film like themselves driving through the different camps. So he would see all these different uh, places that he knew, but he knew them from, you know, 40 years ago at this point. And so it was cool because if you know anything about Korea, they've gone through a massive, huge uh, economic boom since, I mean, even since after my dad left in the uh, uh, 2000s and the early, or the late nineties, they had a big IMF crunch um, that led to economic yeah. issues. And basically now it's the miracle on the Han river has led to them being one of the biggest economies in the world. So imagine going from like, yeah a very, very uh, poverty-stricken economy to one of the biggest ones in the world. And so seeing those changes was awesome. But another part of watching all those videos is the algorithm, right? And so the almighty algorithm started suggesting uh, videos to my dad that were K-pop videos. And so years before it got big in the U.S., I mean, I'm talking like 20, like 14 2015 my dad was actually oh, wow. into cape oh yeah this is like he's known about this for a fairly long time um and he got into it in what's called the second generation right so he got into it at the height of oh, like to be frank abused <laughs> idols like just overworked yeah. underpaid uh horribly extorted idols but they are some of the most impressive performers you'll ever see just absolutely. Sure we're just not talking about like the music industry in general. Well, so yeah. Well, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I, well, and so there are things ab abused idols. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, and we'll we'll loop around back to it because there's actually things yeah. about Korea that make it even worse. Um, oh yeah. Which also, let me take a second here to say I I truly I am not Korean. I do not. You know, that's very obvious to anyone who knows me. I am not Korean. I cannot speak to a lot of things culturally about Korea. I can tell you my best knowledge, but I do not mean to offend. And there is a high chance that I am wrong about a lot of the stuff that I'm going to say when I'm talking about Korean culture. Okay. So like, let's everyone just, I, I want to put that out there. I'm not yeah. claiming to be an expert on Korean culture. I just know what I like about K-pop and I know a little bit of the surrounding stuff. So anyways, with that out there, um, my dad starts getting into the, into K-pop and then, Maybe about 2019, I kind of hit this point where I realized, like, I, my dad and I are, are like, close, but we didn't really have anything that we, like, connected over, right? Because, like, I used to be mm -hmm. big into football. My dad is big into football. But I've not, I'm not really into football anymore, right? And, like, uh, there's, yeah. you know, there, uh, there's multiple things kind of like that that I've fallen out of interest of over the years. And I was like, well, I want something that I can have like that with my dad. Right. And sometime 20, late 2019, early 2020, he sends me a black pink link. Right. Uh, and so black pink is very, it's a very Western stylized K-pop at group. Yeah. Um, their producer, Teddy Park is, a very long, 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 long-term producer in the K-pop world. And he has a very unique sound that is very hip-hop Western stylized. And 
on top of that, the the ladies of Blackpink are very fierce, like, you know, independent, just powerful images, very strong women. And I just fell in love. Like it was very over time, but I fell in love. Um, I started, you know, watching videos more. Cause originally like one of the things that I tried mainly was like listening to songs, right? Like my dad would send me a link and I might play the video, but it was probably in the background, right? I was doing something else. Mm-hmm. Cause I grew up processing music like that. I almost always had music going, but it was always in the background. Right. Uh, it was oh, not, yeah, same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was not a visual component to my music for the most part. Um, Outside of concerts, I should say. Outside of concerts, there wasn't really a visual component. And K-pop is very visually driven. It's a visual medium hybrid. Like, it's visual and auditory. And I had kind of been missing that component, right? Because I would never actually pay attention when he would send me something. It was kind of like I would watch it or I would, like, half-heart listen to it. And when I started paying attention, I started finding these things about it that I liked and started getting hooked. And then I fell completely down the rabbit hole. And now it's to the point where like, I would, I don't know. I, I think I definitely have a more diverse set of groups that I listen to. I would say than my dad, he's probably going to challenge me on that when he hears that I said that, but, <laughs> um, you know, I, it's, it's interesting cause I've fallen like headfirst into it. So it, it, it's, yeah. It's, it's become that thing that I can call him, you know, once multiple times a week and be like, have you heard this shit? You know, and have a fun little gossipy talk about our, uh, our thing. Yeah, exactly. It's a fascinating part I find about like the relationship you have with your parents that like sometimes these things like kind of make like your desire to connect with your parents makes your relationship to something completely different way stronger um i know that like my love of like travel and planes and and logistics and stuff like that is very much like connected to my desire to connect with my father who i don't relate with very often right yeah it's it's like a i forget who it is but someone you know I think there's an old saying or something about how you, you don't really choose your parents, right? Like you're born to them and you probably will get a lot of their traits. But the reality is most of us probably wouldn't be best friends with our parents if they were like our age, right? Like a lot of us, we, we love our parents. We, we get along great, but we're not the type that will like, you know, go out and hang out together necessarily. Yeah, Um, exactly. And so it's, it's important to have those things that you can like, you know, pull you together um, and kind of like, you know, those activities, right? The, the, the things that you can get invested yeah. in together might be a good way to put it. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's very like, for me, especially like music, especially like I'm jealous because you go to concerts and things. I'm terrible at going to concerts. I find it almost like maddening that I, I can't get my head around going to a concert, but yeah, no, I feel you on that one. It's a, it's definitely a, a very interesting bit for you. Why? Like what, what did that like love of K-pop then like transfer into for you? That's a good question. I, it's hard to explain 
One of the things that's important to remember about K-pop is that K-pop has a big element of being parasocial relationships, right? And so yeah. this is the concept of where you feel like you know someone even though you don't know them. And that might sound crazy, except if you listen to podcasts – then I've got some tough news about parasocial relationships <laughs> because you are more than likely you have some, right? And like, these can be anything from thinking like, you know, that you know the way that the host of a podcast is going to react to something that's said, or it can be thinking that, you know, if you ever actually meet Nyan, that you would in fact be best friends and totally go and get ice cream together. Like there's different levels and different, uh, effects of different types of person of these uh, uh parasocial relationships and i it, what you get out of it honestly it, it's almost like the same thing that you get out of being a fan of a sports team um yeah are you are you into any sports uh no not necessarily but um that's because i write about all sports and i uh, find it hard to yeah that find it hard to be passionate about them all at once well it, it, if if you've interacted with sports you've interacted with sports fans and like team fans oh, right yeah. where these are people who are fans of the team no matter how the roster may change they are ride and die with that team right now the truth is they're never going to play for that team they never have played for that team right they they support them but there's really nothing to bind them to them except they've chosen to like that team right yeah and i think there's a lot to be said about k-pop kind of having that outlet for a lot of people that are more arts focused than sports focused is if you like oh, dancing yeah, exactly. and you like singing this is something you can get into where you can have that same type of uh, relationship with someone that you, do not, you don't know, but that you will support and you will try and be the best fan for them that you can be, right? Um, yeah. If Even if you've never heard a K-pop song before, you know, as crazy as it is, there are, there are K-pop stands out there that don't listen to much music. They, they find yeah. idols that they support. They don't listen to their music, but they really support the idol. It's, it's, it's interesting how you get how you get into this and what you can get out of it. Yeah, exactly. I, it's it's fascinating. It, is K-pop significantly different to at least your understanding of the rest of the music industry and the way that, like, it works and its fan culture works? Like, I understand the fans are way more intense. Like, even, so, even like, celebrities are terrified of them. <laughs> yes. Um, so, uh, and this is where... Uh, let me give a little another little disclaimer here. If you are a K-pop fan, I do not hate your group. I promise you. I I I love them not as much as you, but I love them. I I like them and I want them to do well and I wish them no ill. I am not intentionally going to make fun of any groups today. I'm not going to say anything meant to be disparaging or anything like that. I may accidentally offend you, and I'm sorry if I do. It is not my intention. That being said, <laughs> um. I think the, the, the first thing that I've got to kind of specify here is, uh, when you talk about K-pop, K-pop is simply Korean pop, right? So 
that is yeah. the exact same thing as what you would think of as Western pop. The way they go about doing it might be a little bit different, but overall, that's the same way. The big difference mm-hmm. is what's called idol music. Now, idol music is a subsection of Korean pop music, but it's arguably internationally, at least, much the, the biggest part of K-pop. Um, yeah. And this is based upon what's called the idol system. And the idol system is actually very similar to, uh, if you know anything about Motown or if you know anything about the old Hollywood stars system. Oh yeah. 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 Um, Hollywood stars. Yeah. (laughs) Way more sense. It's like Motown. What? I've heard of the word Motown, yeah. but yeah, anyway. Motown is a very specific thing to the United States, so I figured there was a chance you might not mm. be super... Uh, anyways, but uh, uh, the Hollywood star yeah. system, right? They they would find this young talent, and it's literally... You've, you can hear stories about people, you know, uh, going to concerts and having concert staff be like, you, do you want to be a singer? And, like, giving them a card to call them to get an audition. Uh, there are people who were scouted at like talent shows, dance recitals. They put on giant cat open, uh, casting calls. I think this year there's going to be, I think YG maybe is doing a giant casting call in Hawaii. Like they, they <laughs> go the world over to look for trainees. You know, it's not, it's not simply, uh, ethnic Koreans technically at this point. Now. Yeah. It, it, there's, there is a lot of like expansion beyond that, but not, I don't know. Anyways, they're doing a lot of big, uh, global searches again. And a lot of these, uh, uh, companies are looking outside of Korea. You know, they, they go for just the highest talent that they can get. And then what they do is that they bring them to Korea where they enter training. And when you think of training, you're never going to think of it the way that it should be. Uh, it is some of the most intense shit when you read about it. Um, cause remember a lot of these people, especially that are international will come over and will be will drop out of high school. So they'll drop out of high school, yeah. fly to Korea at 16 or 17 and literally all day long, vocal lessons, dance lessons. Uh, they do etiquette lessons. They do things like how to be polite you know, like how to like give this idol image. Every little bit of K-pop is completely manufactured, right? Your yeah. your persona is going to be something that is dictated by your company. Your look is going to be dictated by your company. Everything about you, except for you, right, is going to be something pre-planned. And then generally what they do is they take your natural personality and crank it up to 11. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um. So you go through this crazy amount of training. And by the time that you debut, one of the things that really separates a lot of K-pop acts is the moment that they hit a stage for the first time, they're good to go. They, they, yeah. they don't need a lot of ramping up time. Uh, generally they hit with wheels running and a lot of them already have fans by the time they debut, which is kind of weird to think about. Um, but for example, I told you uh, uh, that I'm going to see a show tomorrow uh, by chance. And the show yeah. that I'm going is a group called Inmix. And Inmix has a member called Lily, right? And when Lily yeah. was like 13, she, uh, she was on a show called K-Pop Star. She was actually Australian. Uh, she's Australian and uh, was on that. this show and was discovered and is 
one of the best vocalists of her generation, like of her K-pop generation, has just an incredible voice to where at 13 years old, three different companies all offered her trainee contracts. Like, on the spot, at at the end of the show, we're like, you can come to us. She got to choose where she went. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's crazy because I was a fan of her. I found that video uh, from that show all the way back in 2013, uh, about two years ago. And then all of a sudden, uh, last year, I saw this, like, you know, JYP coming soon trailer. And I was like, wait, that's Lily. That That's her. She's about, like, it, <laughs> it was crazy. It had been, like, you know, years since she had filmed that. Now, I, I didn't see it when it first aired. But, like, you know, that's the magical thing about YouTube is you can find content from seven years ago and be like, yeah. oh, wow. And all of a sudden, you know, flash forward a few years and that girl is about to debut and then flash forward a year and some change more. And I'm about to go see her in DC tomorrow night. It's crazy. Yeah. That's, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Like it's one of those things you sit there and you go, it's a, it's a machine. It turns out like, and not to say that these people aren't good. Like they're obviously good. There's a lot of quality control and training. It almost, it's almost giving when you mentioning like all the training they get, I'm watching Bridgerton for the first time at the moment. It's like giving heavy Bridgerton vibes. Mm-hmm. Um, or um, if anyone's not familiar with Bridgerton, like My Fair Lady kind of like uh, a little bit of, of that, like we're going to train up this person who may or may not be good at what they do and mm-hmm. make them the like, you know, a, a sensation. So right as they step off the mark, you know, there's no, you don't need to market those people at that point because they're just too big already. Right. And it, it's, it's interesting too what they go, what they look for, because uh, different companies will look for different things, right? Because mm. JYP, for example, which I, I'm very partial to JYP groups. Uh, JYP is known to put out like some of the best girl groups, and I absolutely love their groups. I, they also have Stray Kids, which has two more Aussie members. Fun fact. Um, but it, I, I connect with a lot of JYP, and the reason for that is that they have a big focus with their idols on the personality, right? They want you to be a good, the way they put it is they want you to be a good person, not just a good idol. You know, they can train anyone to be an idol. You can't train someone who's going to be a, a skilled practitioner, right? Someone who's going to go out there and is going to be that, that je ne sais quoi, that X factor, whatever you want to call it, that thing that you can't describe. Um, they almost always have it and it's getting more and more common for people to have that. It's, it's interesting, man, because with all the training, there's never a step down in training. Yeah. Right? So as soon as group A debuts and has X amount of skill, every group to debut after that has to be at least that skilled, which is insane. Yeah. It's absolutely insane when you consider that the way that they form these groups is literally by finding the best of the best already. Right. So you're scouting all across, uh, Korea, all across Japan, opening it up to a lot of Southeast Asia, you know, Australia, China, and you're bringing together all the best that you can find. And then they've got to hit a certain point and then no one can be below that point. It's just insane. It's unsustainable. Right. It's kind of like capitalism in a way. Um, where a lot of the groups and you can see it now happening pretty strongly where a lot of the groups that have debuted in the last year and a half, they're, they're debuting and looking like, and looking like groups that have been out for five years. It's insane. 
It's absolutely yeah. insane. And the troubling part about it is that to keep up with trainees and to make sure they don't lose trainees, companies are pushing out idols younger and younger as well. Um, yeah. One of the groups that debuted last year is called New Jeans. And they have absolutely smashed records, like just destroyed them um, hmm. to the extent where I'm not going to try and name them right now, because a lot of them also won't really make sense unless you know what their records for. But suffice yeah. to say, they're already getting like luxury brand sponsors. They uh, because their name is New Jeans. They're also like global ambassadors for Levi. Like it's of course, of course, of course right. And they're just getting these streaming numbers that are like bigger than Taylor Swift. I want to say I could be wrong here. I could be wrong here. But if I remember correctly, they're like getting their songs have gotten higher extremes than Swift's, which is absurd. This is absolutely absurd. But once again, it's going, is it sustainable, right? Can you constantly keep people streaming your songs at that level? Right. Can your, well, your fans basically keep doing it. And yeah. One of the things that's kind of, well, it's not really unique to Korea, but it's definitely heightened in Korea is Korea is very, um, what's the term I'm looking for? Uh, uh, like a, like a fad. They're very fad centric, right? They, they have tons yeah. of fads that will come up and will go absolutely insane. And they kind of have almost a self not self-isolated, but uh, Korea has a company called Naver. And Naver is kind of like Korean Google. And because of that, they're very much able to like uh, have huge, incredibly popular fads that come up that never leave Korea, but are insane. Like yeah. if you go online in Korea because you're using Naver, it's all centralized in the one place. So it's kind of like uh, Google meets Facebook is the way that it's been described to me. Uh, with a little bit of YouTube uh, on the side. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, there's, like, a heavy, like, net presence that goes along with it. But it's it's just interesting because, like, they keep debuting younger and younger people. I think one of the members of New Jeans was 14 when she debuted. Which. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's not. It's not okay on several levels. Right? It's not okay because that's not healthy for a child. I mean, that is a child. There's no debating it at that point. Like, a 14-year-old is a child who should be in school. That's just the way it is. And, but at the same time, who am I to tell her, don't go and earn these millions of dollars at 14, right? And yeah. so it's, because there is, there, you, you never know. You know, you have to strike when the iron's hot. They thought they could use this specific marketing strategy, and it worked. It worked tremendously. And they connected with that next generation of K-pop fans and they did it in a way that's been absolutely tremendous. But I suppose Justin Bieber was like discovered at age 15. If we have a look at like what Justin Bieber has been up to, maybe maybe we shouldn't be going younger. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, K-pop, especially the original contracts that you sign are a government standardized entertainment contract at this point. That is a seven year contract. Okay. So from the moment that you debut, you have seven years to earn a contract extension. Most idols retire after seven years. You're done. You're done. Ah, okay. Yeah. And the ones that walk away do it because 
it is one of the single most demanding career paths you could ever choose to go down. Um, you hear the stories about what some of these people have to do. And it's like, you wake up at like three o'clock in the morning. If, if you're doing a comeback, mm. right. Which is when you're putting out a new album or a new song or whatever you do is called a comeback. And you, uh, part of that is going on these music shows, a big part of Korean culture is they had these music shows that are, you know, weekly shows where the biggest names in the pop music can come on, play their songs, the audience votes, someone wins. Right. And they have like all this yeah. criteria and stuff. Um, and it's a pretty big deal. It's called, you know, it's show wins, very creative title. Um, and it's kind of, a, it's a stat that's kept and it's kind of a thing like how long since debut until you get your first win and things like that. Um, and let's say you're doing, you know, a comeback. Well, you're going to have to wake up at like three 30 to go to makeup because you have to get full makeup and costume. Then you go to the venue for the show. And your taping for the show is going to be between like 5.30 in the morning until like 9 o'clock in the morning. Then you go away and you do like a photo shoot. Then you come back, go and do uh, the actual live broadcast of the show. Go, you know, go and do a fan sign at the night. And then you probably do uh, nighttime radio and you get home at like 1 a.m. and redo it all the next day. So yeah. it, it's just absurd. And it's not sustainable if you want to have a normal life um especially you know like i said before I, I follow a lot of girl groups if you want to have a child you have a limited amount of time you can do that and there is literally no way in hell you could do that while being an idol uh no not at all and part of that too is um you know outside of the time and emotional and physical like restraints of being an idol is a whole side of uh cultural and fandom restraints that to be honest uh from a western perspective were very shocking to hear about um for example recently there was a idol from like i think like first or second gen we're talking like the late 90s right has been doing this for like 20 years yeah who finally revealed that he had gotten married. And when he revealed oh, wow. that he'd gotten married, he went from doing uh, shows in like 7,000, 8,000 person venues to barely being able to fill like a 500 person venue. His fans just abandoned him, just left him. Because there was like, how dare you go and get married? Because so many of his fans were like these women that had followed him all this time and had this parasocial relationship where it was like, no, 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 no. I don't want to listen to you anymore. You've gone and gotten married. And when I heard that as like a Western, I was like, what in the fuck is this? But like, I don't know. It, it's not, it's not for me to judge, you know, it's, it, it, it's, a yeah, it's a hard decision to make. Like, yeah. especially when you have so many eyes on you, like, even after you retire, you probably would still have so many eyes oh, yeah. on you, knowing how celebrity culture works, that, like, it, it almost becomes, like, why would I even want to do something that would put myself out there like that? Now, the one thing that I will say is a little unique to K-pop is that while idol music is like, we think of it as being super popular, it's actually fairly niche even in Korea. Like within the Korean general public, idol music is still kind of looked down upon in a way. Um, it's seen as like, 
kind of a novelty in a way. It's, it's like, think of it, they think of them as more of dancing performers than necessarily, um, like more robust artists, you know, that might be yeah. a good way to put it. Um, so there is actually a weird element where if you're an idol musician, there's a chance that you can get away with blending in after your time is done. Um, because your yeah. fans will recognize you, but the general public's probably going to forget you fairly quickly. Um, which is both good and bad, right? Because it makes it almost impossible to come back if you want to try and do that later on. Um, yeah, like I said, it has to go with yeah. that, uh, that fad thing. You know, you got to constantly have something keeping you going and pulling you up in people's minds. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. It's, I also think because in the West, at least, the West, the, the, the ideological West, like, because it is, there are so many people out there who, like, listen and are almost, like, obsessed with this stuff. It very much reminds me of, like, the way that Hollywood stars were treated in the, you know, 20s, 30s, and 40s. Exactly. Where, you know, you know, you've got to have this incredibly manicured front because there are so many people looking at you, so many people invested in every movement that you make. Yeah. That, you know, there is no room for error. I'll, I'll give you a... Uh a good example of like where it gets really, really messy. There's a group that got to be incredibly popular called Luna. Okay. And it was a 12. Ah, yes. I think I've heard of them. Yeah, they they yeah. were a 12 person group and I'm going to warn Luna fans out there. I'm going to piss you off right now. Cause I'm going to butcher <laughs> the way the story goes, but essentially they have a member named Chu who realized that the contract that she had signed into was not exactly benefiting her, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And they ran some numbers on it and realized that the group Luna would have to be doing better than literally any K-pop group had ever done in the history of K-pop, including a certain three-letter group, um, to make any money at all. Otherwise, it was a perpetual yeah. debt contract. Uh, and their company is called Blockberry Correct, uh, Collective. Uh, Collective, I think it is. Um, and it's been an absolute saga. Something like seven out of the 12 members have been able to get out of their contracts now. But like, it's, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. These girls were 1000% being extorted. And it wasn't until one of them started kind of getting a lot of solo stuff that it, came out you know just how ridiculous yeah. these contracts were the contract length is government set but the terms as far as um the breakdown of profit sharing uh differs amongst the companies right so like the amount that you might get from uh streams versus the amount that you might get from albums versus the amount that you might get from merch sales you know things like that um yeah they're going to differ between the companies. If you go with a much bigger company like a JYP or an SM or a YG or a big hit, they're going to give you a better, they're not going to give you as much of the profit percentage, but you can assume that you're going to have better profits because you're going to have a lot of yeah. a much better backing. You have a whole machine kind of pushing you on. Um, if you go to one of the smaller group you know, labels, uh, you have a much higher potential in theory for making like your own, you know, your own money, 
But the flip yeah. side is that they don't have nearly as many resources to do like the, you know, the promotional side and to support you along the way. So it's all, it's all a bunch of, you know, trade-offs as far as what you want to get out of it. But at the end of the day, they're still, you know, I, I'm a fair, I'm a fairly uh, left-leaning person and there, there's a whole lot of management reaping the rewards of, uh, the artists and the employees, uh, going on in the industry. And it, it's, I mean, it's the same in any form of entertainment industry, right? You know, it doesn't matter yeah. if you're an actor or a musician or what, what you do, if you're doing entertainment, more than likely you're being exploited as a worker somehow. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like just the whole arts industry is like this as well, where you sit down and you go, okay, I'm going to try to make money out of what I'm doing. And all of a sudden, nope, you're not allowed to make money. That's not how this is working. <laughs> You've got to make me money or someone else money. Yep. It's f- fucking hell. Come on. Anyway. Um, yeah, look, does it, does like the ugly side of the industry, like obviously there's an ugly side to every industry, does that get a lot of conversation? Like obviously with it being so huge, so commercialized, so popular, like as you're saying, Um, rivaling Taylor, the likes of Taylor Swift, is there a conversation you have, that people have around fair pay and fair treatment? There, there is, it- it tends to be very hyper specific. Uh, when it comes to K-pop, everything yeah. tends to be hyper specific. There are people that are very much saying those things, but it, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to try and rally for the pay for these people when a no one really knows the reality of the situation, right? Um, we can make assumptions, right? Based on like album sales and things like that. But the, the true fact of the matter is the, the contracts are not privy to the public. We know what has been said about them, but yeah. we, you'll never know for sure what's actually going on. The one, the thing that you'll hear a lot more than like necessarily the pay side, because the other part of it is with the culture of, k-pop if you're an idol you're walking around in nothing but designer label and you know it's hard to make a Mm. claim that you're being underpaid if you have a fendi bag right like it just it doesn't really exactly come off well um but what you'll hear a lot is things about overworking uh that's a very big thing uh one of the big group stray kids um had a big thing where a lot of their fans were worried that they were being overworked because they're constantly putting out new music. They're constantly putting out new uh, material and new videos and new, all this stuff. And they had a massive tour that they went on. It was absolutely gigantic. And uh, you hear their fans saying, you know, are they being overworked? And uh, Bang Chan, their leader came out and was like, you know, Hey, we kind of, you know, we could kind of set our own schedules a little bit. This is what we choose to do, but there's always a side of you that's like, you might be choosing that, but are you being given all the information, right? Like how much of your choice is based on what you're hearing from your company saying, we need to capitalize on this now, 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 now. Right. So, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's hard because you don't want to, you don't want to make them lesser by treating them like they don't know what they're doing, you know? Um Yeah. You, you don't want to like take away their 
you know, legitimacy as humans and they get to have their own input and stuff. But, you know, when you have stories about idols collapsing on stage and shit, it, that's a little hard to like talk down. Right. Um, the biggest, if you're talking about the ugly, the biggest ugly side of K-pop is going to, without a doubt, be anti-fans, which this is something that I think is fairly, I I definitely, it definitely happens in like Western, you know, music, but there are people who are such passionate fans of group A that when group B is doing like an online concert that you have to pay money for, they'll buy tickets just to spam the chat with bullshit, right? Oh, yeah. Like an online concert, they'll just go in and they will spend 60, 70 bucks to get this ticket just so they can talk shit and be hateful little assholes. Um, If you ever go through the comments on a YouTube video that's a K-pop video... You will see three things. You will see people telling the K-pop idol how their music has saved their life and how they are the greatest inspiration to them and they love them so much and, uh, you know, they would literally kill for them. You will find people who are first discovering K-pop, which is always very fun. Uh, who are like, oh my gosh, what is this? Which always, of course, then has a trail of like 40 to uh, 50 of replies of like, well, if you liked this, might I suggest group C, which is even better? You know, it, it, you'll have that. And then you will have people who go on just to talk shit, just to be a little shitster and, you know, basically make people have bad days. And, it's one thing for someone like me who literally doesn't have social media to see that shit and yeah. to be able to laugh at it. It's another if you are a, you know, 17 to 25 year old performer whose life is literally based all around public reaction. Um, oh, yeah. And the, the, the sad truth is there have been numerous, uh, uh, you know, cases of self-harm and suicide in the industry. Uh, recently, mm. we just lost uh, Moonbin, who was a member of a group called Astro, an incredibly talented, incredibly skilled idol. He he was a freaking uh, happy vitamin. Like, he was one of those people that everyone always said made them feel great. And, you know, you never know what depression looks like, but it, 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 it was ruled suicide. Like, they didn't hide it. Yeah. And... It's incredible to go through that in a community like this. Cause like I, I will, you know, freely admit I was not an Astro fan. I knew of Moonbin, but I, you know, I was not a Moonbin fan, but yeah, it scared the shit out of me when I heard about that announcement. Like it, it truly hit me and I felt, you know, I felt crazily impacted by it. And not only is this someone that I don't know, but it's someone that I don't know and I don't even really know about. But yeah, there's something about hearing that happen. And then I, I was talking to my dad about it and I'll, I'll be honest. My immediate thought was, what the fuck would I do if I saw that about one of my idols? 
right? Someone that I had been supporting and following and, you know, had cared that much about. Yeah, exactly. Um, cause yeah, I, I, it's, I'm not going to lie. Like I, I know it's a parasocial relationship and I, I know all of this intellectually, but like, yeah, I absolutely adore my favorite idols, right? Like I, I, I have fun with it. I buy into it. I allow myself to play with this parasocial relationship and to have this fun little feeling of like, I am sure that I really would be like best friends with all of my favorite idols and we would get along great and stuff. If I ever met my idols, they would probably think that I'm a giant, brutish, horribly mannered American, right? That That is 95% yeah. of the chance of what's going to happen. Plus, I'm far too loud and obnoxious. They would not like me at all. But <laughs> I get to play around and have this, like, you know, this fun little thing. Like, of course, we, of course, Tayyun and I would be best friends if we ever got to meet. Like, are you kidding me? She would be the oh, younger yeah. sister that I never, I never had. Um, and I, when you read about the passing of someone who, as big of a community as K-pop is, as far as the fans go, for idols, there's like less than 1,500 idols in total. You know, uh, it's it's a very, very... It's a small community. Small, yeah, community. It's a, a shockingly small community, especially when you're talking about, you know, groups that can have so many goddamn members. <laughs> it's yeah. it's kind of crazy. Um, yeah, and, like, we, it's a common problem, I think, in all of the entertainment industries, like, obviously, fame comes with a whole variety of trappings that, like, uh, and parasocial relationships, I've definitely heard podcasters talk offhandedly about, you know, the fact that these, you know, and, and radio hosts, too, in fact, my radio host friends probably feel it more than my my podcasting friends because the parasocial relationship you feel through the airways when, you know, someone's listening to you on their commute home mm-hmm. or uh, I think especially of, you know, some of the biggest po- podcasting slash radio names in our country, you know, um, these people, people feel like they have a right to, to know everything about these people's yeah. lives. Um, and it's kind of happening to journalists as well. Like m- m- I had to, explain to my siblings who are people who deeply don't like uh they have social media but they deeply don't like broadcasting their lives mm-hmm. online and um, i had to explain to them when i decided to become a journalist i gave up part of my privacy yep. um to have my face printed on a local newspaper every week uh and watch myself embarrass myself trying to guess who's gonna win the football every week you know, it's, it's, uh, i'm doing the the tipping for the football which doesn't include any money it's just clout but you know it's still uh, minorly embarrassing um as someone who doesn't know or follow right. the, the australian football leagues you know national games and yes people from victoria oh shit so you're and, doing actually uh, uh footy Oh, yeah, actual football, yeah. Oh, um, shit, okay. I, I was thinking, like, soccer, but you, you mean, like, Aussie, no, Aussie no, rules no. football, though. The- it's weird. This is something I've noticed in the last six months I've lived down here. The word football is just thrown around all the time. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, um, I'm sorry, which one are we talking about this time? Um, no, soccer isn't actually that big down here uh, because the AFL is so massive yeah. that, like, it's all-consuming to the point where... I was at games all afternoon yesterday taking photos. 
Theoretically, I'm supposed to be going to games this afternoon to go and take photos. I really don't feel like it, so I'm probably not going to. <laughs> um, I took a photo, photos of the important ones, so it doesn't really matter. Um, and, um, you know, there'll be, and then, you know, there's a whole, there's a daily newspaper, not one I work for, but one nearby that does football content every day of the week because they, they have enough to talk about. And I'm just like, wow. Oh, no, thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is, it's very fascinating mm. when you kind of give up that part of your privacy for money, fame, a lifestyle that you, you know, were aspiring to or a chance at a fulfilling career and yep. you've got to kind of give up, make so many massive sacrifices for it. Yeah. And there's something, you know, one of the things that I, a little personal theory that I have is I think even before the pandemic, we have been switching as like overall, like humanity has been switching to a, and I'm, I'm not, you know, breaking any, crazy news here, but we're switching to a much more isolated way of living, right? Mm -hmm. Even though if you're in a big city, you're being much more isolated from your neighbors. You probably don't have that sense of communities that you want, might have once had. Um, and people are living online a lot more and not, it's not full on like ready player one, but that's kind of the way it felt feels like it's going. And one of the sides of that, that's really kind of crazy is like you said, People are looking, they don't care what it is, but they want access to you. That's part of what yeah. really drives K-pop is I don't just get to see my idols. I get to then see their favorite foods. I get to see what movies they like. I get to see what books they like. Now, mind you, everything that they say is, unless it's a live, like, studio audience shot, more than likely, this is something rehearsed and something that, you know, a team of people has to approve, but it doesn't feel that way. Right. So like if I'm, they do these things called like, uh, well, they, they used to be called, uh, V lives, but V live got shut down. So like now if you're like on think of like an Instagram live, right. You know, like you can like pull yeah. it on and celebrities can be like, Hey, let me talk to you while you make racist comments. Um, well, they, they, they do things like that as well without, hopefully without the racist comments, but not necessarily. Um, but they'll like, you know, do these Instagram lives and stuff. And you'll, it, unless it's something like that, where they'd have no opportunity to like pass it by <laughs> a manager or something, yeah. then you're probably getting like a re rehearsed line, but it doesn't feel that way. You know, like when they're talking about it and they're saying it feels like this is who that person is. And there's something about getting that access into someone's life. That's kind of almost voyeuristic in a way, yeah. uh, you know? And I think that there's a lot of people who really kind of want that. They want to be that friend that knows all these different sides of you, uh, even though they've never met you. And so like, there's a uh, multiple, you know, different ways that idols will do this, but you can see damn near every aspect of an idol's life that they want to show you, right? Um, you can see their home, you can see their pets, you can see their family, you can see their favorite places to go eat, you can see all this shit. And it's, like I said, it's a very weird desire to see that, yeah. right? Like, uh, I remember I kind of weirded myself out the first time that someone mentioned an idol's parents job 
And then it, it had never clicked for me to think about like, well, what do their parents do for a living? And then I found myself yeah. Googling these random people that I don't know, like, well, what is such and such as debt? And it was like, as I was typing, I was like, this is weird. Why do I give a shit about this? You know, like, why could I possibly care? What the, like, he's a banker. Whoa. It, it's not like that's going to shatter my world or anything, but it's absurd. Like the, the knowledge that all of a sudden becomes interesting to you. And it's not even knowledge. It's just facts. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's almost like you want to know trivia about them. You know, it, it's, it's a very interesting drive. <laughs> it is. It is. And it like, it reminds me of like, and I don't really, like, this is not the be on the end all, but, like, when an ADHD, when someone with ADHD or just someone in general kind of goes down a rabbit hole, um, mm-hmm. for example, for me, like, it's the federal budget this week because where May is budget month and so every level of government needs to hand in a budget by the end of the month. So that means that, you know, as a journalist, I'm like, well, as a journalist who likes numbers, I'm going through all of these and just, like, talking to people about it, um, which incredibly nerdy of me. But, like, at the same time, you know, um, I turn around and, like, then start Googling some of the most unrelated things mm-hmm. or even in court, like, you're sitting there in court and you're going, oh, and then, like, search up. I don't know, random illegal drugs. And it's like, oh, wow, you know, the police are going to love my search history <laughs> if they ever, you know, went looking. <laughs> um, but uh, it's very fascinating. And I think it is. It's, it's an important, like, obviously, it's really a really interesting part of, like, the way our minds work. Yes. But then also, like, it could be very dangerous, like, incredibly dangerous yeah. to be doing that kind of thing. Yeah. And it, there's there's a it's almost like uh if you almost want to think of it as almost like a like using drugs is actually kind of a great analogy because there's like a line that no one can tell you where it is that once you cross it is way more unhealthy than it is healthy right Mm -hmm. uh there's nothing like there's no level of being into a parasocial relationship that isn't on some amount unhealthy, right? Like even the slightest bit of buying into one is going to be at least a little, you're going to have a trade off immediately, but there is definitely a line that you get to. And, you know, it's kind of funny because I came before I was into K-pop, I was huge into a band called fish and fish has a similar, every fan is going to fan spelled pH is going to hate if they hear this, but there's some incredible parallels between being a fan and being a K-pop fan, right? Um, you know, I, I'd been to 52 shows uh, in my life for this one group, right? And yeah. when they perform, there is no opening act. It's just them. That's it. And you will see people who devote their lives just like with you know the grateful dead were the first ones i think that had this they'll devote their lives just to following them around right anytime they play a concert they're going to go and drive to that show get there you know do whatever they have to do to get in i along with that you hear people who will have these relationships to the four guys and fish where they talk about them like they're friends and it's like dude you've never met them like, what are you talking about? Yeah. You, you don't, why are you calling, you know, that's not your buddy. You're like, you, you don't know this person. 
So I wasn't completely unfamiliar with it, but I will say seeing people who allow, who prevent their own happiness because of their, how far they've, you know, driven themselves towards a fandom. That's when it gets very upsetting. Um, Because, I mean, there are people who will do insane things for these people. And, I mean, once again, when you get to, like, the real ugly side of it, there are people who it goes too far and it becomes things like stalkers. Um, You know, my favorite group twice, uh, famously, they're – well, one of the unfortunately, you know, famous things about them is their uh, oldest member, Nyon, has a stalker who's, like – his name oh i'm not gonna say his name is not worth giving him any amount of credit but he's like he got onto a plane with him at one point like that's how bad it is and he genuinely believes that him and nyan are going to get married and that you know they're destined to be together and he's got restraining orders against him he's not i think at this point he's not legally allowed to enter the country of south korea like it's oh wow yeah no it's it's bad um, and it, I don't know, I don't know if that he wouldn't have just ended up having, you know, those same issues with someone else, but I can definitely tell you that the way that idol music is structured, it's going to be much easier to have someone fall into that, you know, um, there's a thing called bubble that they offer that you can pay it's like two or three bucks a month and you get these messages from the idols right and the way it's set up it seems kind of like a one-on-one chat but the reality is that what the idol can do is they can send out messages to everyone and Mm. when it goes out it looks like a one-on-one conversation and you can reply and they do see all the replies but they're all you know just bunched together so that yeah. people can kind of guide a conversation. And I've read some of them before that get really interesting when people get really good at it because it does feel like a natural conversation, right? They'll be like, well, yeah. they'll be like, I, uh, you know, I just got home from recording and uh, I'm trying to figure out what I want, you know, for dinner. What do you think I should eat? And like, it's an yeah. open ended question. And if you're like, if, if you want, you can like reply or whatever. And if, if they do it right, it ends up feeling like you're talking to a friend. Never mind the fact that there's thousands of other people that are all getting the same message, hundreds to thousands that are also replying, and that the artist has yeah. no way of knowing who you individually are. They just see like the scrolling list of responses. So it's oh yeah, exactly. You know, and, and to think like I remember when I first heard about, it, I was like, who would pay for that? And then. There was a moment when Twice was coming to New York that I was hoping to get info on, like, uh, basically through a long series of things, I ended up subscribing for a couple, for like a month or two. And it was fascinating to watch it because, like, knowing what was going on, knowing the reality of the situation. But once again, even knowing what it is, you can totally find yourself buying into it, right? If, like, you get these messages, there's a chance that it will feel very much like, they're talking to you and they are, but it's just the plural you, right? Like that's, that's the, the, the little trick there is that 
they are very much talking in a way that it feels like a one-on-one conversation, but they're having that same conversation a thousand times at once, you know? Yeah, exactly. But yet another way to monetize uh, uh, idols. Yeah, and it's fascinating. The the monetization, the commodification of the of you know of human beings i think it raises a very interesting moral question of like how far are we willing to go Mm -hmm. to have this you know how far are we willing to continue maintaining a maintaining this way of interacting with fans but it's not just fans like i the way that you know you're talking about this very much reminds me of the way that people speak about the kardashians you know Every, all, like almost every moment of their lives are broadcast in some way, shape, or form, whether it's through their reality TV series, whether it's, you know, through their own social media presences or, you know, paparazzi and things like that. Mm-hmm. And you sit there and you go, where does this become unethical? Like, where is that ethical line that you draw? Yeah. Um, and K-pop was like, I didn't realize this when I first started sitting there, but it's a perfect example of like trying to draw that line while still trying to like, it feels to very scrape capitalist. every to penny out, as out much of it. Money. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, to your point, right? There was a big scandal uh, a couple years ago, um, where Taeyeon, a member of Twice, was coming. Mm-hmm. She must have been coming back to Korea from something overseas, and there's a whole bunch of press. And like, there, if you look up videos of the airport in Seoul that there's one airport in Seoul that does like international flights and one that does domestic, if I remember correctly. And the one that does international has this giant glass facade, glass facade. And when you're coming in through immigration, you like go through these little like turnstile things and they scan your passport. Right. And there's two levels to this thing and reporters can stand on the top level and take pictures and fans can stand up there and take pictures. And uh, when Dayeon was going through customs, it was a scandal because the customs worker flipped her passport in such a way that, like, it was visible to the people that had the telescopic lenses that were uh, paparazzi and fans taking pictures. So all of a sudden, mm-hmm. because you happen to be a celebrity and this person just, well, you know, they maybe they were paid off somehow. But more than likely, it was just an employee who wasn't fucking thinking, or maybe even was starstruck themselves and fucked up, right? They just fucked up. That's what happens. People fuck up. Unfortunately, you fucked up and released the private information of an idol to the world. And, you know, once you do that, you can't put it back in the bottle. Um, there's a group, not, it's not like an organized thing, but there's a thing called Sasang fans in uh, K-pop. And these are mostly yeah. older fans that are super fucking creepy, right? Um, they will do things like bribe managers and bribe delivery people, just crazy, like stupid comic book type shit. But it works, yeah. right? Like if you bribe the right dude in Gangnam who's doing delivery driving, you might get to figure out, you know, where G Dragon lives. And they'll try and get things like telephone numbers, right? And think about how creepy this is. So if you're an idol and you're doing a live, right? You're, you're talking to your fans, you're trying to do the thing and you keep getting phone calls 
right? Your phone that you're using to do the broadcast keep getting phone calls and you can't figure it out. The reason that you're getting those calls is someone bought your phone number. And because you're live yeah. right now, they can tell if they actually have your number. So I find it very fascinating. We're having this conversation about phone numbers because half of a half of a politician's media person's job is to avoid giving out their personal phone number. It's the funniest thing ever. They'll ring you <laughs> on like an unlisted phone when you want an interview, and it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's hilarious. Oh yeah, I, I and listen, like I get it. I get it. Like it if. If you saw the extents that people will go to to be giant pieces of shit, it yeah. you know it'll blow you away because these people pay insane amounts of money to get this information, and it's literally just to creep on people. Again, it's not. Yeah, there's not there's no real game plan here. It's just I want more. I want more access. I want more. You know, I want to know that I have something that you don't want people to know. It's it just, it's fucked up. Yeah, yeah. Look, let's shift to something a little bit more positive, yes. I think, because let's let's finish the, the episode on a positive note. Um, what has been some of the, the most good that you've seen come out of K-pop as an, as an entity? Oh, man. Um, so, to get a little philosophical, right? I'm Go ahead. very much a believer, not not with all aspects of it, but with certain aspects of utilitarianism, right? And I do believe that there is a certain thing to be said for people like idols who put out so much happiness. Like if you could like put out like unit, think of like happiness in units, right? Like happiness units through the efforts yeah. that they do they arguably put out more happiness units per person than I would say 99% of the rest of the population, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, If you scroll through these YouTube videos and you see what the fans say about, you know, the impact that these people have had on their lives, uh, getting them through hard times. I've had times where I, you know, have had some bad mental health months where, the right song at the right time can just be magical. You know, music has that ability. And when you combine not just the musical side of it, but also the celebrity side and also the uh, uh, hero worship side, right? You get this effect of this person that you want to do well for. A lot of uh, people that are fans of K-pop talk about wanting to like, you know, be the best fan that they can. And that type of thing. And I think it's just absolutely gorgeous to see these stories of people that get through these terrible things simply because of the music that's written by someone, you know, 7,000 miles away. It's, it's beautiful to watch. Um, on a very much more direct note, uh, being celebrities, one of the big things that idols try and do is charitable donations. Um, yeah. There is an absolutely fantastic idol named IU that I highly recommend looking into. She's kind of like the most adequate parallel you can make is she's kind of like Korea's Taylor Swift in a way. Um, (laughs) Take that for what you will. But she regularly, they just had Children's Day in Korea and she made a uh, big donation to a children's hospital and a bunch of other idols did as well. 
whenever there are accidents or tragedies in Korea, uh, you can almost always find idols making donations. And a lot of times doing it in undocumented ways, right? So like making donations that only come out because someone says that they did it. Um, the videos that you can see of fans interacting with idols, some of them can be kind of weird, but a lot of them truly are heartwarming. Uh, there was one that was really popular a while ago, a group called Dreamcatcher that kind of has like a Evanescence with Avril Lavigne vibe going that's hard to explain. It's really fucking fun and cool. Um, they got to do the largest rock and roll festival in the world, which is in somewhere oh, in wow. uh, South America. And it's, it's so cool because they go up at the beginning of the festival and like everyone is kind of like, who the fuck are these girls? You know, like, what the fuck is this? Why is this K-pop act on here? By the end of it, they've won the crowd over. It's fantastic. But yeah. when they went to do that, there was a clip of a disabled fan that got brought around by security and before going on stage one of the dreamcatcher girls saw this fan and oh god you want to talk about something that would make a grown man cry like what it means to these especially the like teenage fans and stuff like I, i'm in my yeah. 30s like if i met meet them i'm going to like <laughs> i'm gonna get all like but it's not going to like it's not going to have that effect on me Right. But yeah. for these younger fans, especially it, it, it's just, it, it's, it's, uh, it's like heartwarming porn in a way. It's I, like, I don't know how yeah. to describe it, but it's just, it's, you can find so much reciprocation of the love. And I think that's another big difference that really shows in K-pop that I really enjoy is how much reciprocation of love to the fandom there is like it's a huge mm. point in k-pop that the artist loves the fans as much as the fans love the artists you know and like yeah you think of like some of the absolute shitbags that treat their fans like garbage that are in america you know like chris brown and fucking um Who's that jackass that did Astroworld? Travis Scott? Is that his name? The one that killed a bunch of people? Uh, I think so. I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, That shit's insane to me. As someone who's been mainly like in, you know, mainly uh, uh, participating with like uh, Korean uh, culture for a while, it's unthinkable to me that that shit would go on, that he could see that. Because like, if you fall down at a K-pop show, there's a good chance you're going to be embarrassed because they're going to stop the damn thing. Like the artist is going to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Are they okay? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's fantastic. And I think that there is something to be said for the people who can feel that reciprocation and especially people who might not have great social relationships in their real life, you know? And that's something that is unfortunately true for a lot of people that they might not have a whole lot of friends or they might not have a whole lot of people that they get along with or really connect with in their day-to-day life. Um, you know, it, it, my, my favorite dorks and weirdos, people like that, you know, like they just, they don't have many people. And 
if you're in that type of situation, a parasocial relationship might bring you a lot of happiness. Now, you should definitely not, you know, I'm not saying it's for everyone and definitely don't think that this is a real thing, but, you know, it can definitely help. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of good to be seen or at least seemingly good to be seen from this community and from the fans that they get back from their artists that they love. So I, yeah, it is. It's incredibly heartwarming to be honest, to, to, you know, hear that like communities can be made out of these groups. Like there is mm-hmm. no limit. And, and look, I, I often draw parallels to the communities I'm involved in, including the Deus Ex Media community. community. Mm-hmm. And it's that kind of community where it's just completely accepting. Uh, you've got, you know, no one has any qualms about anything. And that's that's exactly what you're looking for. Yeah. Um, really quickly, if I can, uh, on Thursday, this coming Thursday, I'm actually going to see another show, um, another K-pop show. And it's a group called Mamamoo. And it's a four-girl group. Yeah. That has been around since 2014. And this, this group, man, it's literally three of, well, four very talented singers. One of them has become more of a rapper, but she's still really good at singing. But the other three are just, any one of them would be the best singer in their group. Were they in any other group? Right? Like they're just incredible. But because the four of them don't fit traditional Korean beauty standards, which if you aren't familiar, Korea has an entire insane, I'll be honest, completely fucking arbitrary and to me, horrible system of beauty standards where it is very matter of fact, right? Like you either fit into it or you don't. And if you don't, they are horrible about treating you <laughs> like yeah not yeah. not not everyone not everyone definitely not everyone but there there is a, there is something to be said for like you can literally type in korean beauty standards and get lists of things that they look for versus reject and mamamoo yeah. according to that are they don't meet them right they do not meet these korean beauty standards uh they were considered too old and too fat and too like all this shit and yeah. through being clever and through being consistent and through just being too goddamn talented to ignore, they clawed their way up and are now, you know, they're not like in the upper echelons as far as like album sales and ticket sales, but they have one of the strongest communities. And part of it is they were the first group to have like gender fluid performers perform with them on stage uh, every year in Korea is a very closeted company, uh, country. They're not very open about LGBTQ issues. Um, yeah, yeah. it is changing, but it, it's not, it's not what you would necessarily imagine. If you just saw a bunch of K-pop, you'd be like, of course they like gay people. And I'd be like, well, maybe, you know, um, but you know, they are very supportive of the LGBTQ community. Uh, there's a great video that, uh, was like how to pronounce words for Mamamoo fans. And it was like the, the person was standing on a whiteboard and they'd be like, this is pronounced such and such. And this is pronounced such and such. And of course this and Moo Moo 
was written on the board, which is the name of the fandom, yeah. right? And of course, this is pronounced lesbian. <laughs> and like, <laughs> like, it's just. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's fantastic. And they, they, uh, they just have such a tie to their fans because they had to, you know, when they first had their first show, it was literally three people. They went to a music yeah. show and it was one of their sister or two of their sisters and one of their friends or something like that. Um, that was it. And now, you know, they're doing a tour across America where doing five to 7,000 seat venues, they're selling out 85% of their seats. It's insane. Um, I love it. I love it. Yeah. And, and they are just hyper talented. And like I said, it's, it's so cool to see them have that success and, I, it's funny. One of the things that you'll find throughout K-pop is the number one sentiment that you get a lot with fans is I wish I had discovered this fandom earlier. That mm. seems to be like the running trend. Like, and it's true with me and my two favorite groups. I wish I had like gotten into them when they first debuted to be able to go with them on that full journey. Because one of the things that you respect as a K-pop fan that really hits you is the amount that these people work their asses off. It is insane yeah. how they just, they, they work harder than any other form of celebrity I've ever come in contact with. Sans, you know, like professional athletes, like legitimately, like you're yeah. talking kind of on that level to do these three hour dance focused concerts. Oh yeah, exactly. And it's insane, you know? And so there's something to be said for like feeling the love kind of when you see them perform because it, it you kind of like you can feel that hard work and effort and shit and it's like oh man mm. <laughs> yeah i'm loving the passion sorry um i'm just reveling in the passion here um well we're getting to the point where we probably should start wrapping up yes um yes. it's it's been amazing i uh, to to hear uh, about this because it's one of those things, having been brought up with classical music and then kind of not really getting into popular music until a lot later in life, and even then, like, my popular music taste is weird at the best of times, um, of all things, where we're recording this right after Eurovision's just wrapped yes. up. So, <laughs> look, you know, the height of weirdness, I'm about to go to explain to everyone on the Deus Ex Media server why uh, the results didn't happen the way that they wanted because it is the opposite <laughs> to any other music competition you would ever ever expect um and well, you- uh but it is it's so it's so fascinating to to hear about this side of the music industry that you don't get to hear about well, very often well in can, one really funny little thing to throw in there so you know america did their own version of eurovision recently they did the great american song contest is what they called it oh yeah and each state had a different person that you know represented that state the winner of that contest is actually a k-pop artist (laughs) and it's funny as shit because her name is alexa she was born in texas she's american but she is ethnically korean and at one point had gone back to korea and debuted as a soloist right and she went <laughs> when they started announcing this great American song contest and like people like fucking Michael Bolton was in this thing. Right. But at the end of the yeah. day, when I saw that they were doing this, I tur- I called my dad and I was like, it's not even fair. Like, it's not even fair to allow a, no. <laughs> a K-pop act to do this. First of all, because of the netizens that are going to be behind them no matter what. But second of all, this is literally what they do. Let me put together the yeah. most amazing one song stage 
that I possibly can. It, it's just, it's not, it, it's like, if you, it's like having a contest of building a brick wall and one of the contestants is allowed to be a professional mason. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, exactly, exactly. And it, I find it hilarious because the deep misunderstanding of like different ways that we attribute success in the music industry, like Eurovision obviously is one format of success. And mm-hmm. like, even as Australians, we have some incredible acts that come out of Australia. But the acts that we send to Eurovision often are the, <laughs> what we would consider the commercially the best. Like Voyager is popular. Don't get me wrong. It's incredibly popular within Australia, but I wouldn't call it like the best we have to offer. Like there are definitely probably better musicians, but Voyager are definitely the most Eurovision successful band that we could probably send. And I think that that's like probably the way we should think about the music industry more often. It's like, we've got to take in that little bit of context before we make a judgment call. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Andrew, so much for coming on Content and Capable. It's been so fun to chat to you. Uh, and I've really enjoyed hearing about your passion and your your love of K-pop. Sam, I, I can't thank you enough for letting me come and babble at you. Because that's what this was. This was me talking at you and you being nice enough to sit there and let me do it. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sure You can host your own K-pop podcast at this point if you just, you know, as long as you get someone else to edit, I think, because <laughs> at that point, you know, recording for that long and then editing that long might be right, a, a yeah. bit of a task. Wait, I, I, well, you know, it's funny you say it. I had an idea for a K... And this is one of those things that only K-pop, I think, could really have this... I had an idea of doing a podcast of interviewing K content creators. So like reactors and, uh, like the people who make the secondary, the second tier of content on YouTube, the people mm. that like take all of the K pop content and then make their content based on that. Sam, there are reactors out there who like have two to four thousand patrons and all they do, all they do is K pop reactions. Yeah. It's insanity. And so I was like, well, fuck it. Maybe I'll just email them and be like, how? How and why? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, who needs, anyway, um, who, de- who needs to be, you know, successful? Whatever. Uh, <laughs> everyone's desire is to be famous until they fuck are famous. Fuck that. And, you know, now, I will take yeah. my parasocial uh, s- secondary uh, experience <laughs> through my sitting in my, uh, you know, bedroom watching on YouTube. That, that's the much, as much fame as I want in real life. Oh, look, I've even received hate mail, and I'm only just a lowly journalist in, you know, the middle of bumfuck nowhere Australia. So, um, I, the, the small taste of fame, it's too much for me. No, it's <laughs> it's too sweet a sauce. My, I can't <laughs> handle it. <laughs> if my boss is listening, because my boss did inform me the other day that he does listen to podcasts, I'm guessing he doesn't. Well, he probably knows all of my podcasts, but he probably, yeah. If you are listening, <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy where I am at the moment. <laughs> and he definitely went this evening to the footy game to get those pictures as well. He, uh, he- oh, oh, look, I, I'm not being paid for that work anyway. That's okay. But he That's still <laughs> did it. Dedicated I did it. employee. I did it. Look, I went on Saturday. I went to the I went to the the GVL games. I don't think going to the W WDVL games is that is far too many acronyms for me, my friend. Yeah. Oh, fine. The VL is like that's all I need to know. But like, oh, 
Yeah, as soon as I hear an L at the end, I'm like, okay, I think I know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> um, the amount of acronyms. Yeah. Um, someone was, someone, one of my friends is studying a corporate job and she was sharing her spreadsheet that she uses to like get the lay of the land, oh. a new job. And like, there was like a whole page of a spreadsheet about like acronyms. I'm like, I could never do that. No. Like, I just got to have it exposed to me enough times until I memorize it. I can't just be writing things down like that. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that, um, that's has there been much. anything that you've been reading or watching or listening to that you wanted to plug? Well, I figured um, I'll give you a watching and I'll give you a uh, listening to that are both K-pop related. Okay. Um, so for watching, there is a thing on YouTube, the group that I'm going to see on Thursday, Mamu, and they did a thing called Killing Voice. And it's about 15 minutes long, and it is like them doing a medley of some of their biggest songs. I've been watching this thing for about a year and a half now, ever since it came out, and I will probably watch it once or twice a week. It's literally like that good. I just keep coming back to it. So if you're looking for an entry point into K-pop, that might be a good one. Uh, The other one that I will give you is a group called... The name... it's just pronounced idol, but if you're looking for it, look for G idol. Um, they came out with a new song this week called allergy. That is kind of a critique of, um, always wanting to follow the people that you think are prettier and happier and realizing that they're, you know, there's always a bigger fish, right? So like you might look up to them, but they look up to these people and they look up to the, it's a very good social commentary, and uh, their their main album releases later this month. But they did this pre-release single. The music video is pretty pretty good. So, "Allergy" by uh, G Idol, and uh, "The Killing Voice" by uh, Mamamoo. Yeah, that's uh, amazing. I'm going to bring the tone down way more because <laughs> um, this week. I'm going to plug Succession only because I've only just started watching it. We finished season one. Ah, I ne- I've been meaning we to get the around fuck to into that. Season two. Oh. It's, a hard, it's hard to watch. I'm glad there's only 10 episodes in the first season because I'm struggling to get through it. Mainly because it's like heavy and dense. It's mm. one of those. It's very HBO. It's very like there's a lot going on and you need to be paying attention the whole time. You can't just put it on casually. Um, <laughs> and if it's HBO, they probably uh, throw a random set of boobs up there to distract you too. So it's like, what the hell? Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's just like for, as a journalist, it's like, we were like, my housemate and I were like, well, as a journalist who live in Australia, we probably should be watching succession. Cause it's basically telling the story of Rupert Murdoch Ugh. as much as they'll go. Yeah. It's not, um, <laughs> Did you know it's sorry, no, go go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, you go, you go. Did you know that Rupert Murdoch in his conglomerate of companies that he owns, he owns a company that literally owns the rights to the NIV Bible. The man literally owns the Bible. Yeah. (laughs) Look, he owns so much. Like he owns Way too much. 90% of the newspapers in my home state, ridiculous amount of newspapers around the country, uh, and that's just Australia. I'm yeah. not even talking about, you know, the blight on society that is Fox News mm-hmm. or, you know, you go and Sky News in Australia and the UK, fucking Piss Morgan and, um, God, what you know, a everyone else. Yeah. 
anyway, I try not to think about them too much. Um, uh, and I have friends who work for the Murdoch machine from, t- uh, so it's, it's, it's the delightful part of like me being a journalist and wanting work, but also me trying to have morals. Yeah. Um, Ooh. <laughs> that's a rough road to walk. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you want to be paid or do you want to, like, maintain your values? My mother my mother at one point tried to convince me that I should be wanting to be paid more than I have morals. So um, that was a hard, <laughs> hard time. Pat, not. Meanwhile, the people we were staying with were trying to convince me to just go work for the, the public service. Mm-hmm. Pat um, Oswald anyway. had this great uh, bit where he talked about selling out and how when he was younger, he thought that selling out was, like, a one-time decision, Right. How, like, someone just comes to you and is like, well, here's your check. And you're like, thank you so much. And he tells this whole story about how he, like, went to work for a casino. And it was, like, a 30-minute gig. And he got paid more than he had ever been paid. And was put up in, like, a 3,000-square-foot, like, uh, penthouse to do the performance and stuff. And on the way out, what he thought had been this terrible performance. And they were like, oh, my gosh, that was amazing. I'll tell you, if you ever want to do this again, we've got 40 locations. We could send you up every week. And that realization that he would never have to write another joke, would never have to actually give a shit and could just go up on stage. That's always there. And it's always pulsing in the background. That's the struggle of selling out. And for you, it's knowing that there's those corporate, you know, fucking sell your soul media jobs that are just like, come, come Um, drink the (laughs) Kool-Aid. The joke is as journalists that we, like we often get pulled into comms for politicians. And it's like, um, in fact, of all things, we just, we have a couple of journalists. I know that I have worked in journalism for a while. And then, have gone and done comms and it's like once you do that you never go back the pay is always much better um no thank you i think i like i like my low-paying journalism uh for the minute or a little while longer i'll keep trying that one keep keep being able Um, to sleep at night for just a little bit longer you don't want to look tired until you're in your 30s yeah yeah have the conspiracy theorists knocking on your your office (laughs) i brought my red string let me show you (laughs) I legitimately, seriously, there was red string. Um, <laughs> well, I bet, I bet you even get the crazies that, like, even though you're in Australia, start talking about the Constitution and mean like oh, the American Constitution. constitution. Too. They talk. Well, I, I, they talk about our Constitution as if it's the American oh, Constitution. We're like, um, yeah, mm. um, the Constitution. The fact that, like, so somehow we're listed on the New York Stock Exchange. And so they believe Australia is a corporation. It's like, uh, no, it's, there's a, there's a legal reason as to why we're listed on the New York Stock Exchange. I forget why, but it's just ridiculous trying to like explain to these people that it's actually a perfectly normal reason to be listed on the New York Stock Exchange. There's nothing better than like a deflated conspiracy theorist. Like if you get them at the right moment and they genuinely don't realize that you're like holding back the aggression and think that you're like, oh, wait, no, this is like, look at this simple thing over here that perfectly explains it. And like the moment where you see them realize they've either got to be like, Oh, that perfectly explains everything I need to go now or take that hard right <laughs> turn into like, but this is a gold fringed flag, which means this is an admiralty court, you know, like, yeah, exactly. like a hard it's turn ridiculous. into crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. 
Um, well, uh, thank you, Andrew, so much for coming on the podcast. It's been so much fun chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me. Maybe, uh, maybe I'll come back someday later and we can, uh, do it all over again. Look, I feel like this is something we could just keep doing yearly. I'll just learn a little bit more about K-pop every time. We'll do the, uh, the updates. Each year we'll have an, we'll have a K-pop update and I'll just slowly descend into madness as, uh, as it goes. I'm convinced that, like, some point many years into doing this, my schedule will be full before the year even starts because I'll just have so many guests Ooh. I want to have back on. Um, That's when you hire a, a full-time editor and then you can open up more uh, more time for your uh, recording. Twice. Let's do it twice a week. No, no. Yeah. I, Christina, I'm not doing this twice a week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Content and Capable was recorded, edited, and produced by Samuel O'Brien. You can follow the podcast at Content, the letter N, Capable on Instagram, and you can find it on Facebook. You can also send an email through to contentandcapablepod at gmail.com with any of your thoughts, queries, or concerns. The best way to support the podcast is to leave a review on your preferred podcatcher so more people can hear the podcast. The art was done by Opia, and the music was written, edited, and produced by Jason Hilton. Content and Capable is proud to be a part of the Deus Ex Media Network, where you can find a podcast for any of your nerdy interests. What's up, potheads? I'm Christina Kahn, host of The Restricted Section, the Harry Potter slander Harry Potter book club podcast. We are a raunchy, rambling, unabashedly pro-trans rights Harry Potter book club podcast hosted by a bunch of nihilistic millennials who are desperately clinging to childhood fantasies as a way to escape the monotony of our nine to five work culture and the inevitable extinction of the human race at our own hands. Isn't it wild that this book series was spontaneously created by the gods and has no actual author? Welcome to the show! The Restricted section releases episodes on Wednesdays. This summer we're releasing bonus episodes fortnightly. We just finished The Goblet of Fire, so you have plenty of time to catch up before we start Order of the Phoenix at the end of August. The Restricted Section is a Movie Night Crew Network podcast and can be found at Restricted Section Pod or at Restricted Pod across all the socials. And just to make it clear, fuck turfs. Thank you for listening to Content and Capable. Don't forget to rate and review, and we'll see you next week for another episode. Dave X Media.